Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through our generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. In August 1924, the British inventor Harry Grindel Matthews published an article in the magazine Popular Radio in which he claimed to have invented an electrical death ray. Matthews' first great achievement was a response to a request from the British government for a weapon to destroy zeppelins, those pesky zeppelins, or a remote-controlled unmanned vehicle. It was 1914 and the Admiralty was looking for an advantage over the Germans at the outbreak of World War I. Matthews received a 25 thousand pound reward for his remote controlled boat which he demonstrated at richmond park's penn pond but was never actually used in the war inspired by nikola tesla's demonstration in the 1890s that electricity could pass through the air between a sender and receiver matthews next turned his attention to the death ray in 1923, he demonstrated the ray's power at his laboratory by first stopping a one-cylinder gasoline engine and then igniting gunpowder both at a distance. In a final demonstration of the ray's power, he placed a mouse at the opposite end of the laboratory from his death ray, trained the beam on the tiny mammal, and electrocuted it. The destructive force behind the ray is nothing more than a high-potential, low-frequency current which grounds to the object which the ray comes in contact exactly as though it were being applied through a piece of copper wire. Matthews argued that he'd created a mysterious carrier beam which acted like a wire, bringing the electricity through the air. To take down an airplane, two beams would catch the plane in the air. One would be charged and responsible for paralyzing or burning the plane, and the other would be uncharged to complete the circuit. Matthews was profoundly cagey about his death ray outside of this demonstration. He wouldn't let the government investigate or test his ray at all. And when the British courts issued an injunction to prevent him from selling plans for his ray to a foreign power, he fled to Paris. He was offered $25,000 to demonstrate his ray at the Radio World Fair in the US, but refused, claiming that he was not permitted to use the ray outside of Great Britain. The optimists see in it and I hope they are right, the vindication of the man who has through all the discouragement and labor of my work been my inspiration, Nikola Tesla, to me the greatest man on earth today. Ten years later, Matthew's hero would invent and attempt to market his own death ray, albeit on a far more apocalyptic scale, claiming that his particle beam ray could destroy an army of millions and would bring an end to all warfare. In Nikola Tesla's hands and imagination, electricity became something magical, capable of achieving tremendous feats. Tesla believed there were electrical frequencies in both the earth and the sky that could be tuned to in order to convey not only radio signals, but harness actual electrical power and transmit it across vast distances. The extent to which Tesla's ideas were actually feasible remains subject to debate. After the development of alternating current, few of them were ever put to practical use. To that end, I've categorized Tesla's late career work as occult in nature, for being beyond the limits of what science is willing to accept, residing in the theoretical quasi-fantastic space that we here at Occult Confessions so often like to travel. Is this going to be a lot of science today? It's going to be, uh... All science? Uh, just a... Just a just a yeah, like a just a more or less a lot of it. Yeah, like just not quantum physics. More again. than a little science. 
what no, 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 like just regular physics. Okay. What happened to these death cool. rays? Is this what we are referred to as a Tesla cannon? Yeah, uh, well, there's, uh, we're going to get there. There's going to be a whole conspiracy theory around what became of Tesla's death ray. Very neat. I'm excited to hear about it. Well, you're, we're a long way off from there, James, but uh, it's... <laughs> way to burst my bubble. <laughs> well, no, but you're going to get it. You're going to get it, but okay. you're going to have to... Yeah, so that's a good teaser, James. Nice job. Nice marketing there. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, joining me here uh, at the table, my name, by the way, is Rob C. Thompson, Doctor of Things Occult and Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. Uh, we've got Olivia Literal sitting next to me. She's our Grand Master of the Order. Hello, beautiful people. What's going on? We're here, and we're talking about Tesla. We've been here all day. You're not supposed we to tell have, that? No, we can tell them that. Oh, yeah, okay. we're, we're We've been a, here all day. We're a big podcasting day because we're looking forward to the holiday, and, and we're trying to get a couple of episodes in the can before we all go away uh, for our break. Uh, we've got Aubrey Radford sitting sitting at the other end of the table there. Ooh. Howdy. Aubrey, uh, known to our listeners, uh, she was on our first episode, performed a little sex magic, and uh, very recently played a werewolf with a bizarre accent. Hmm. Yeah, I did. Yeah, she was the hairier of the two, but still uh, didn't get very hairy. I yeah. mean, well, don't talk about how hairy she was or wasn't. Let her be as hairy as she was meant to be. I honor a woman's right to be hairy. You Thank guys you. know that's, that's, true. that's my bent. Yeah, You've never told me to I've shave spoken my armpits. Or anything else. James Kaplangis. Yes, I am here. I'm the captain of the table. Yes, you are, sir. Uh, welcome back to that table. Uh, delighted Thank to have you. you. It's always a pleasure to be here, Rob. I'm glad to hear that, uh, because we, the members of the, of the secret, secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. This is a bit no, of a struggle. Okay over there. Yeah, you, you just I don't, I don't quite have it down. No, okay, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We'll get there. <laughs> Olivia, time for the plugs. Plug, plug. Got our patrons. Uh, I want to welcome some new patrons here. Very delighted to do this. We've got Chris A. Welcome. Also Matthew L. Welcome. And we and here's a fun one. We have uh, Andre uh, Babic, uh, who, who actually is a Croatian Serb, or oh. or a Serbian Croatian. Uh, and and this is really a coincidence. We had this exact same thing happen. Uh, not not on our last episode, which was quite bizarre. But the episode before that, uh, we had our our patron Laura, who was interested in colonial. Uh, witchcraft and, and occultism, and we just so happen to be talking about the colonial period. Here we are talking about Nikola Tesla, Croatian Serbian, and we have a brand new patron, Croatian Croatian Serbian. Yeah, isn't that something? Something happening. I feel like the universe is telling us that we should keep doing keep this. Doing yeah, this? keep on. I mean, right? Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what the universe is saying. <laughs> Why does that sound vaguely sarcastic? Either that or like we didn't, we, we made him drink the Kool-Aid before we started tonight. It wasn't Kool-Aid, but... No, it was, it was that Kool-Aid. first episode we worked on. This. That it basically was Kool-Aid, you're right. <laughs> We're all still a little, little loopy from that. Uh, our sources today include Tesla, Inventor of the Electrical Age by Carlson W. Bernard, Tesla, Inventor of the Modern by Richard Munson, also the BBC's Story of Electricity, uh, and we're taking some first-hand resource, uh, resources from the New York Times and Popular Radio circa August 1924, which we just heard from. All right, are we ready to get into this? Hello. Okay, we got to do the science first, Olivia. Oh, God. 
God, here we go, science. All right, so much of my research focuses on the second half of the 19th century, the period when electricity's journey from unknown force to a feature of daily human life accelerated by leaps and bounds. But until I started this research, I didn't know much about what electricity was or how it worked. If I'd learned much about it in high school, the lessons hadn't impressed me much, and so I sort of had to teach myself. To that end, I didn't want to assume that any of our listeners were entirely clear on how electricity works, even though it features prominently in all of our lives. So, if you'll indulge me for just a minute, we'll be quick about this. I want to define the force that is largely responsible for you hearing any of what I'm saying right now. This is so meta. Right? I mean, except for like you guys, because you can hear me with just my voice parts, but I'm talking about everybody else. The people. At the level of the atom... Electrons orbit a nucleus, which is made up of protons and neutrons. Stay with me. I know some of your brains just turned off. It's okay. It's, I, it's not going to be long. Okay, stay with me. Atom. Atom. Many of you have probably seen an image of an atom a few times in your lives. Electrons are constantly in motion with a negative charge. Protons have a positive charge. Electrons have a negative charge. Depending on the number of protons and electrons in an atom, the whole atom can either have a positive, negative, or neutral charge. Right, this is so far so good. It goes one way or the other. You got more of the negative, more of the positive. Or an equal amount. And there you are. Atoms have a charge because they either have more protons than electrons or more electrons than protons. More electrons you have, more negative your charge. Losing or gaining electrons can also change an atom's charge, and a changed atom gets the special name ion. Conductors, which are materials through which electricity passes more or less easily, have loosely bound electrons. So those electrons are always jumbling around and they want to move. Our bodies are conductors, so, you know, be aware of that. We got loose electrons. You can see it, just I can see it in you guys, all your electrons just jumbling around there. Pull pull it together. Yeah, Aubrey, we've seen enough of you, I think, for the day. Uh, Our bodies, (laughs) let alone, now you got your electrons are all out. Our bodies are conductors. Uh, Metal is also a conductor. Insulators have tightly bound electrons that they do not give up easily and are used to keep electricity contained inside a conductor. Carpeting, for example, is an insulator. So when you touch a doorknob after shuffling your feet on the carpet, you feel a shock as electrons enter your body to rebalance your charge. You just kicked off a bunch of electrons onto that that carpet. Nature seeks a balance. Wires are made of insulators and conductors. The conductor is the copper inside the wire, and the insulator is the plastic shell. See, this isn't so bad. I remember all this from, like, in, school. And mm-hmm. the insulators, the, the, the electricity doesn't pass through them, right? Right. They're going to hold it in, so it goes just in the copper wire, doesn't leak out. Uh, electrons move along the wire between negative and positive poles, altering the atoms in a sequence as they go. So basically, they're just bumping from atom to atom. The two prongs on a plug pretty much work the same way. Electrons go out one side and in another. Amps are on the number. Uh, amps measure the number of electrons flowing per second through a conductor, and voltage is the difference in potential energy per unit of charge between two points. Yeah, let's not worry about that, shall we? Let's just keep going. Yeah, don't don't start to lose me. No, no. All right, never mind. Forget that stuff. <laughs> Except for that stuff about the electrons and the copper. No, yeah, you got that. that. All right. Yeah, now. <laughs> Sorry. Now, 
Now that we've uh, all been reminded or heard for the first time a basic definition of how electricity works and where it comes from, let's turn to a brief history of the phenomenon. And for that, I've asked our captain of the table, James, who's done many a brief history for us to go ahead and cue us in to uh, where electricity has come from in, in the history of human endeavor. And this is a brief history of electricity. Delightful. Humans' interest in electricity can be traced, in Western culture at least, back to the ancient Greeks, who rubbed amber, which they called electron, in order to create a shock. In the modern world, Francis Hawksby, a 17th century draper and inventor, developed a machine that produced static. While he never fully understood this electrical charge he was creating, he started science down a path to discovery in the field of electrical engineering. Stephen Gray, or rather Stephen Gray, yeah, it could be either, I suppose, a silk merchant turned astronomer, and that's what matters, right? discovered that electricity could be conducted through the body into metals, and also that not all materials could conduct electricity, coining the terms insulator and conductor back in the, ninth, the 1730s. Next, the Leiden jar was developed in Holland, storing electricity produced by a Hawksby machine in water using a conducting wire. Yeah, it's a jar full of lightning right there. Also known as a light bulb, is that right? <laughs> no, we're not there yet. No. Okay, okay. Jar full of lightning then. <laughs> just, just, just lightning jar. Inspired by the Dutch invention, Benjamin Franklin theorized that lightning was electricity and that it could be proven by placing a lightning rod in a Leiden jar. Contrary to popular conception of Franklin flying his kite in a thunderstorm, he did not actually conduct the experiment, but rather had his French admirers do it for him. Yeah, that's uh, that's the best way to do pretty much anything, is to just have your French admirers do it. That's how I got my gutters cleaned out last weekend. Although he was never shocked by lightning, Franklin was responsible for the discovery that electricity was just a positive charge flowing to cancel out a negative charge. In the Leiden jar, a negative charge builds up on the inside and a positive charge on the outside, buffered by the glass until the top is touched, forming a circuit and causing a spark. Henry Cavendish studied the electric torpedo fish using two Leiden jars. Differences in voltage and charge explained the difference between the fish and the jar. In the 19th century, Humphrey Davy invented an enormous battery, bringing two carbon filaments together to demonstrate the power of electricity to create light. While indoor spaces continued to be lit by gaslight, Davy's discovery led to the creation of outdoor lights. And here we are at the lights. I like the light bulbs. Michael Faraday, a bookbinder by day and scientist by night, attended one of Davy's lectures and was inspired. He used an electrical current to show how the current moves in a circular motion around the magnet, demonstrating how magnets break electrons off of conductors. These discoveries would lead to the, to the invention of electromagnetism, and then the telegraph, which was, in, essentially, a system for controlling electromagnetism at a distance to communicate a code. Europe and America were first connected by telegraph cable in 1858, but a successful communication wasn't achieved until July 27th, 1866. Yeah, wasn't that a, it was a long journey, wasn't it? Pretty slow. Why couldn't they figure that out? Yeah, it was almost eight years. It, it took so long and large because people mistakenly believed electricity might function like a liquid with increased voltage equating to increasing distance of travel. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's not that. 
<laughs> it wasn't voltage, but the integrity of the circuit that ultimately succeeded. Yeah, yeah. See? So wait, good thing I mentioned that whole voltage thing, Olivia. It was a lot of science. Yeah, well, it's the circuit that matters, right? Like a plug that goes into a wall. Right. It's got the two Yeah, you got to have that. Prongs. Yeah, that in and out. The in and the out. Exactly. Like a belly button. No. I think no. that belly button is either in or out. Well, I mean, unless after the, you're special. After they cut that cord. Got to cut the cord. And that's a that's a brief history, isn't it, James? I believe that is the brief history. Woo! Science rules. And that brings us to the current wars. Ooh. Yeah, you didn't didn't know there would be like right now would be <laughs> would be wars. No, no, that's not. I think it's an electrical current. I'm electric, joking. Yes, that's what I meant. James yeah, and I don't, Rob. This is not what we meant at all. They're making jokes. Tesla entered the picture by way of Thomas Edison's labs. Edison had set himself up in Menlo Park in northern New Jersey, where he worked to develop electrical inventions on an industrial scale. Arguably, Edison's greatest invention, the light bulb, James, Yay. which was not a jar. Uh, required a time-intensive process of trial and error to discover exactly the right filament, one that would impede the flow of electricity enough to heat up and glow white without melting. Edison started with platinum, which was way too expensive, because you make, like, you know, engagement rings out of that stuff. So he'd have to buy an engagement ring to light your house, and when that blew, you'd be pissed. Uh, and eventually he settled on bamboo fiber. The, Very different. <laughs> yeah, because that grows like weeds That's all over the place, right? Uh, the British physicist Joseph Swan, fun fact, was working on the same problem and chose cotton thread as his filament of choice, and their designs were so similar and developed at the same in the same year, which was 1879, such that Edison and Swan went into partnership to sell light bulbs on both sides of the Atlantic. In America, I don't think we hear much about Swan. It's all Edison all the time. Yeah, I've never heard about Swan. He pretty much just had, like, if it, we didn't have Edison, we still would have been good. We would have had light bulbs. Eventually. No, but the same year. We wouldn't even have to oh. wait. Swan just had a different one. He just didn't have bamboo in there. He had cotton. It was the same so thing. how'd they decide what to, didn't they both put different stuff inside? Yeah, but they they just, they just manufactured it differently on different oh. sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, one English, one American. In 1882, Edison turned to the problem of commercial electrical power uh, and how it would be distributed, and he built his first power station. Edison committed to a system that depended on DC or direct current. Direct current couldn't travel far, and so power stations needed to be built a mile apart to allow for consistent delivery. He chose Wall Street for his first underground cables because the richest customers could afford to fund these stations and they all pretty much live nearby. See guys, it's always it's always the 1% taking our direct current power. Well, weren't they more like investors? Yeah, 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 but they also got direct current. Aubrey's been talking about direct current in her house for ages, and we just can't get it out to the eastern shore because there aren't enough, uh, you know, them one percenters. Just in the dark, you know? <laughs> it's so dark. She, she refuses to use alternating current. <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> where was I? ACDC. Tesla. Yes, Tesla. A Croatian started in Edison's satellite laboratory in Paris before moving to New York with dreams of improving Edison's device, as well as plans in his head for a variety of mechanisms and machines of his own, including an airplane, uh, which he never built. 
I liquefied my modest assets, secured accommodations, and found myself at the railroad station as the train was pulling out. At the moment, I discovered that my money and tickets were gone. What to do was the question. I had to decide while running along the train, with opposite feelings surging in my brain like condenser oscillations. Resolve, helped by dexterity, one on the next time, and I managed to embark for New York with the remnants of my belongings, some poems and articles I had written, and a package of calculations relating to solutions of an unsolvable integral and to my flying machine. Tesla brought, uh, along with him, a letter penned by his boss at the Paris lab, naming Tesla as only the second genius his boss had ever met, Edison being the first. Oh, okay. I was about to say, like, what kind of... <laughs> his boss had met Edison, and then Tesla was oh, the second right. genius, genius number two. Edison gave him a grunt job, but Tesla worked his way up to the role of researcher in the lab. While Edison was committed to direct current, Tesla began looking for an alternative, namely... Alternative current. Alternating current, or yes. Whatever the alternating current. current, yeah, you're on the right track. Tesla knew that the smaller the current sent through a cable, the less the resistance and power uh, loss of power, and the longer the cable could be. So we get a smaller current, it's going to go further. You get a big current like Aubrey wants, mm-hmm. it's only going to go to her house. Bigger the better. If we wanted to get to James's house, we got to shrink that current. I hear you. Gotta okay. Shrink that current. Got to shrink that current down. You want longevity. You want a smaller current. Those big currents don't last long. Don't tell people what size their current should be. <laughs> Using magnetism, alternating current swings between a positive and negative charge, unlike direct current, which has only one steady charge. Ladies, I think we can agree that you'd probably just want a normal sized current, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't want too small, too big, because then you got complications no, right. on both ends. There's always going to be issues, right, Aubrey? You know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yes. locks it. I mean... So, uh, using magnetism, alternating current swings between a positive and negative charge, unlike direct current, which has one steady charge. This swing reduces the size or amplitude of the charge passing through a wire, allowing it to travel further. You got me? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so in other words, the magnets are sort of swinging back and forth and uh, they're, they're pulling the current so that it's, it's constantly, it's making this uh, graph that goes up and down and has peaks and valleys. Like a sine wave. Like a, yes, exactly like a sine wave. Uh, and those peaks and valleys mean that the charge is never just one steady, straight, heavy thing. It's always getting very positive and then very negative and it's balancing out. But this current is still too large to come into a house to power a blender. Or a dishwasher. Did they already have those? Uh, yes, and they were super pissed that... <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they couldn't use them. They were just sitting there. They kept filling them with frozen fruits and things, and <laughs> they just could Nothing was happening. That's so sad. <laughs> so the yogurt was going bad. So for... For the blender to work, uh, Tesla invented a system of transformers. <laughs> For the blender to work. <laughs> yeah, he was like, we've got to get these blenders working. But we got to put transformers, uh, which change the high voltage current to a lower voltage so that it can go into your house without blowing everything up. Oh. Tesla. So we can see those now on the streets as you're walking down the street. Wait, Tesla. What, what is that on the street? Transformers are up on the telephone poles. They're those uh, circular cylinders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 
So Tesla had quit Edison's New Jersey lab after only six months of work and was laboring as a ditch digger for telegraph companies in 1886 when he was introduced to the financiers Alfred Brown and Charles Peck. Did you say he was digging ditches he, for a yes. telephone? Telegraph. Tele- telegraph company. Oh, we don't have telephones. Telegraph. You know what I mean. Yes. Why do they need ditches dug? To put the poles in. Okay. They set Tesla up in his own lab where he worked at night to share power with the printing company below. It was there that he invented his pyromagnetic generator, which produced alternating current by the changing magnetic pool of heated iron tubes. That's very creative. Kudos to him. Right? Uh, so Olivia's making this face like I've... I don't know what you just said, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> All right. Uh, I feel like if we go into it, it might be the rest of the episode. Yeah. So just accept that there is a pyromagnetic generator and some tubes and it's all working just fine. So ideas like his device for alternating current actually came to Tesla complete in a kind of cogent hallucination. I never had any control over the flashes of light. They were perhaps my strangest experience and inexplicable. They usually occurred when I found myself in a dangerous or distressing situation, or when I was greatly exhilarated. In some instances, I have seen all the air around me filled with tongues of living flame. These luminous phenomena still manifest themselves from time to time, as when a new idea opening up possibilities strikes me, but they are no longer exciting, being of relatively small intensity. Tesla had a very active visual ability. He could project images into a sea of clouds that would form in his imagination. The clouds would arrive in moments of inspiration, but could only be manipulated once they'd fully formed in his mind's eye. He claimed to be able to create and test all of his ideas fully in his head before creating prototypes. The prototype was merely a confirmation for what he already knew from his internal vision. Edison was only interested in direct current, so Tesla partnered with George Westinghouse, who purchased Tesla's patents for alternating current for seventy-five thousand dollars. That's not a yeah, that, but alter, I mean, it, this I mean, is a right. yeah, this but is one of the greatest inventions still, of the nineteenth century. At the time. Edison attempted to prove that AC was more dangerous than DC by electrocuting cats, dogs, a horse. And an elephant. I think that just proves that his experiments are more dangerous. And that he's kind of a psychopath. Yeah, that's not cool. Uh, Edison even went so far as to invent the electric chair as a means to prove his point, suggesting that electrical execution should be called getting Westinghoused. Going back to the guy who funded Tesla's AC. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's rough. Like if we called, uh, you know wetting yourself during the podcast uh getting jamesed yeah because i i do that (laughs) (laughs) or i guess if if someone else wets you during the podcast you would get jamesed because you can't james yourself can you you can't james yourself (laughs) only your friends you guys having fun yes yes we are all right (laughs) but but (laughs) tesla yeah, it's great. <laughs> Fantastic. You know my mom listens to this. <laughs> That's why I said it. <laughs> All right. Hi, Mom. We've been planning that out for weeks. Oh. <clears throat> but Tesla, who was almost as good as Edison, but seriously, you guys. Yes. Tesla was almost as good as Edison <laughs> at self-promotion and showmanship. 
And he did his own demonstration in the presence of witnesses uh, from the press. He passed an alternating current through his body safely. Together with Westinghouse, he installed a power station at Niagara Falls, essentially winning the current wars. How could it go through him safely? Because yeah, it was you, so low can of you define a... safely for yeah. us? Yeah. <laughs> sort of, there's this image of him just sort of sitting in the middle of it. They took a picture of him as, as the electricity passed through his body. So he could alter the amount of electricity. That thing that creates all the bolts. Yeah, yeah. Movie about it. Bolt man, yeah. Watched the movie. With, uh, with uh, what's David Bowie played Tesla in uh, The Prestige. That's the movie. Ah, yeah. yeah. The one. Great oh, movie about magic. Oh. And also David Bowie. Yes. This is not about David Bowie, but everything with David Bowie in it is a little bit about David Bowie. Space! (laughs) (laughs) I I, I do love that movie. Uh, Yeah, so, but that was for real. Where were we? Wireless power. Yeah, we're going wireless already, and it's only the 19th century. We just got electricity. Right. Now we're wireless. Going wireless. So next in the progression of electrical engineering was the development of wireless power. In 1865, James Clark Maxwell developed a theory that electricity created an invisible force field in the form of waves. Yeah? Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. The sine wave. There it is. Heinrich Rudolf Hertz proved this theory, and Sir Oliver Lodge and Indian science Jagadish Chandra Bose demonstrated that these electromagnetic radio waves could travel across distances. I'm guessing the radio company Bose might, is probably named after him, or should be. But uh, those guys, while they were very accomplished, were outshined by a much less accomplished person named Guglielmo Marconi. Can you say that one more time for me, please? Guglielmo Marconi. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Who basically stole all these ideas and put them into a wireless telegraph. So he was a great marketer, really, Marconi. In 1900, not a great thinker. Sorry? No, but really. Oh, okay. In 19... uh, I mean, I guess you can argue with me, but most people agree that Marconi did not really invent much of anything. He just took other people's stuff and put them in boxes and said... I made this. Go. He's yeah. a hype man. He's a hype man, yeah. Uh, but a good one, because he's considered the inventor of radio uh, oh. and won the Nobel Prize. Oh, wow. In, well, that just goes to show you what prizes are worth. In 19... There there goes our shot at Podcast of the Year. Oh. Uh, at the podcast Aries At the pod... At the what? Nope. Nope. The pot, podcast at the arenas. At the, at the potties. The potties. The potties. Like Where James pees on everyone. Oh, there it is again. <laughs> That's why they won't invite us back. <laughs> James, James, James. In 1900, Marconi... <laughs> but seriously. In 1900, Marconi attempted a transatlantic communication through his company, Marconi's Wireless Telegraph and Signal Company, just like I call this Thompson's Occult Confessions. Together oh. with... Jo- I just think he's... Anyway, together with John Ambrose Fleming, professor of electrical engineering at University College London, he constructed a transmitter capable of producing bolts as large as a man's wrist. Because you need a professor to figure that out if you don't know how stuff works. On December the 12th and 13th, 1901, Marconi successfully received a message, S, 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 transmitted from his station at Paul II, England, at his North, to his North, North American station, in St. John's, Newfoundland, and this was all via an aerial suspended from a kite flying in a winter storm. Why SSS? 
Uh, well, it was the only letter that would go through. Uh, James is not entirely wrong. Uh, it, Tesla, for example, uh, believed that the letter SSS, because it's so simple to transmit on a telegram in Morse code, mm-hmm. it, it could just be noise. Uh, yeah, it, could, it wasn't necessarily yeah. the message coming through. Tesla had his own plans for wireless electrical transmission. Uh, he acknowledged Marconi's achievement, but he downplayed it, saying that the real accomplishment would be sending power across the Atlantic, not merely communication power. And Marconi's claims were subject to some skepticism. Marconi and his assistant were the only ones to hear the SSS, after all. And who was to say whether the three dots, all it is is three dots, three times, were actually a signal from any other station, as we're saying, and not some interfering electrical pulse. Tesla did not attend a dinner held in honor of Marconi, Ooh, shade. But he sent, is that what the kids say? But, do you guys even know? You guys are old, right? We have no one here under 25 anymore, do we? No, not me. Wow, we all are. Yep, that's right. I work with young people. Do they say, whoa, shade? shade. Yeah. What what else are they saying? They say, they say, whoa. They say, boom. Like, oh. Boomer. No, they say, boomer. Like, what's up? My college kids are like, boom, Rob. Boom. What the hell is that? I'm not a boomer. I'm a millennial. No, I know. You're... Boom. <laughs> Why are you saying boom? It's like, it's like a bullet point that you put on. I don't understand like it. period? We're like old. I'm trying to... Un- we're old I'm people right. trying to understand the kids here. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to explain to Shade our audience. Acceptable. Yeah. So they can relate better to us. Because I think most of our audience are at least in their mid to late 20s or early 30s. Or late 30s. Early 40s. Tesla did not... <laughs> Attend a dinner held in honor of Marconi's shade, but sent a letter instead praising Marconi, but never mentioning the transatlantic transmission. Marconi finally proved that his wireless communications were real on a transatlantic crossing on which he received periodic messages from his station at Paul II and had the captain record where in the ocean he was when the signal arrived. Far more valid than just three dots in the middle of space recorded by no one. Uh, so, he was only 22 when he patented his wireless telegraph. Oh, wow. And all, yeah, right? Yeah, oh, younger than all of us. Right. <laughs> exactly. Way so to make me feel Why aren't you guys going to Silicon Valley, grabbing their stuff, sticking it in a box, and selling it as something you made? Well, there's, I'm here. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on Netflix, Rob, that I need to watch. <laughs> That's true, too. That's super valid. <laughs> also, I think it's probably harder to just stick something in a box now and sell it to people. Yeah, electricity's already been in a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is... Radio. Anyway. Well, radio is also, we're, we're doing that. Kind My of. man was 22. Uh, and although he had made no real discovery, only repackaged older discoveries into a marketable form, as I've been belaboring, Marconi was considered the inventor of radio and, again, yes, awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1909, which I think probably the Nobel Prize can, continues to kind of regret. Uh, maybe they don't. I don't know. Do they regret things? Do they care? They're all dead. I, feel like they're, they're I so think wild. the dead can still regret. Well, I'm shaming them. I'm shame. Shame on them. That was so deep, James. Yeah. We're about to get haunted <laughs> by the Nobel Committee of 1909. Movie. That's a movie idea. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty niche market, but uh, <laughs> Tesla envisioned a system for world telegraphy that could print newspapers in people's homes via private telegraph devices. Like like a printer. Or a fax machine. Like a fax machine, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. 
Writing to his investor and funder J.P. Morgan, he requested $25,000 to construct a power station again at Niagara Falls to transmit electrical power remotely the same way Marconi had transmitted a telegraphic signal. They love those falls because they could really churn out some uh, energy. Are they using hydropower? I think there was some some of that involved. I, I can't speak to it exactly, though. But they, they did like Niagara Falls, I think, because of the water. Maybe it just was nice to look at. Or maybe it's just out of the way, <laughs> but close enough to New yeah, York. Scenic, that's the word. Yeah. And the wax museum. There wasn't a wax museum. There might have been. Morgan entertained Tesla's ideas, but was otherwise occupied fighting Teddy Roosevelt's trust-busting efforts against his company, Northern Securities, which controlled all of the rail traffic between Minnesota and Washington State. Kind of, yes, the definition of a monopoly. Uh, in the end, Mor- just like Mark Zuckerberg controls your social life. In the end, Morgan decided not to invest his own money, but offered to help Tesla reorganize his Nikola Tesla company and issue new securities. Tesla would issue $10 million worth of shares in a factory to produce his inventions, mainly electricity receivers. But Tesla struggled to find investors beyond Morgan, and in 1903, Morgan withdrew support. The reason Morgan withdrew his support is open to some speculation. One argument is that Tesla hoped to offer electricity to people for free, and Morgan was like, that's an unprofitable idea, and I don't do those. More likely, there was a lot of speculative investing going on around wireless technology, and Morgan was scared off by the financial bubble that was inflating around Tesla's work. Wireless business owners were raising more money than they needed for stock offered at premium prices, not investing it in the business, and the government was bound to get wise to the whole racket following the inevitable crash in a company's prices. You got me? So people just kept pumping money into wireless until it was worth more than the company was worth, and then they didn't take the money and then go out and, you know, buy new electricity-making things. They just kept it. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1890s, Tesla was regarded as one of, if not the most, promising inventor in America, but by 1903, public sentiment had turned against him. His system for alternating current had been revolutionary, but he simply could not follow it up with any new great applications for electricity. Tesla loved publicity, but his boasting and taunting of other inventors in the press had only built up a mass of unfulfilled hopes and dreams. Although Morgan had backed out of Tesla's Niagara Falls plant, he'd given Tesla $150,000 two years earlier to construct a tower on Long Island. Oh, now it's getting occulty. But how much is that in, like, today? A bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Over a million dollars, right? At least, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe more. Tesla built Wardenclyffe on the north shore of Long Island, roughly 100 miles from New York, to conduct his own experiments in wireless electricity. Tesla believed that he could pump electricity into the Earth's surface at a particular frequency that would cause a complementary frequency in the Earth's surface to vibrate in standing waves that could power devices or carry a communication signal. Hertz, Lodge, and Marconi focused on transmitting electromagnetic waves through the air, treating the grounded current as a byproduct. Ever the iconoclast, Tesla planned to reverse this system, treating the airwaves as the byproduct and the ground waves as the main attraction. Tesla would use a small amount of electricity at the right frequency to trigger resonance in the natural current in the Earth and generate power. Inspired by a thunderstorm in Serbia in 1892, Tesla had always dreamed of harnessing the electrical power of the Earth. One day, as I was roaming in the mountains, I sought shelter from an approaching storm. The sky became overhung with heavy clouds, but 
somehow the rain was delayed until all of a sudden there was a lightning flash and a few moments after a deluge. This observation set me thinking. It was manifest that the two phenomena were closely related as cause and effect and a little reflection led me to the conclusion that the electrical energy involved in the precipitation of the water was inconsiderable, the function of lightning being much like that of a sensitive trigger. The consummation depended on our ability to develop electrical forces of the order of those in nature. That's not something that we have, right? Like wireless power? Things aren't powered wirelessly unless you count like solar power or wind power. Yeah, we have never figured out how to do this. Although, arguably, Tesla maybe did, but he ran out of funding. Uh, In that very movie, there's a scene where David Bowie uh, lights up a bunch of light bulbs outside of the lab, which I believe is a a mock-up of Wardenclyffe. The sort of scary, in you know, off in the distance lab, and uh, that would have been what Tesla claimed to be able to do: is that he could just activate the electricity in the Earth by putting a little electricity in the Earth. He could tune to the Earth's vibration and activate the energy waves in the Earth and turn stuff on in a metaphysical way. That makes sense, like even modernly. How so? Because. Uh, we're all collecting crystals because they're from the ground and they carry energy from the ground within them. And those, then we put new energy into it and it carries that energy almost as like a, con- or not a conductor, but the other one in a way. Like a circuit? Insulator? No, insulator almost. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's an electrical vibration somewhere in the earth and you can just tune into it. Right. That makes sense, I guess, to me. For sure. Tesla's dark tower at Wardenclyffe was designed to transmit energy into the Earth, as we're talking about, and then pass it through the Earth. Tesla believed that the Earth would act like a tank. Push water into a full tank at one end, and it will come out the other, right? If you have a full tank and I pump some water in, it'll just pop out the plug. You got me? Then it'll squeeze out, right? So imagine I've got like a bathtub, I fill it up with water, and I plug it, and then I push more water into the bathtub. The plug's going to eventually pop out from the pressure... Right? And squirt water all over the place. Mm-hmm. You got me? Mm-hmm. I guess not like a bathtub with plumbing attached. Or yeah. like with no, an open, it. like it would have to be an enclosed tub. Wait, like Aubrey's Otherwise tub it would because just overflow. Aubrey doesn't have that electricity in her house, the direct current. So yeah. she just has to bathe, you know, she has to heat it up herself out, in the, the out yeah, in the back. Just breathing on it <gasps> <laughs> until it heats up. So Aubrey's tub, right? It's if like we put too much thing. water pump it in there we you know lit it off you know like this full tank so uh that's how tesla thought it worked you could pump a little electricity in and you would get electricity out the other side but it's possible the earth could operate more like the ocean with electricity sort of going in no particular direction and dissipating out disappearing as it was absorbed you drop a little water in the ocean it just goes away Unfortunately for Tesla, the Earth seems to operate more like the ocean than a tank full of water. It's possible that Tesla planned to operate with something more complex than simple electromagnetic waves, something involving radiation that would produce scalar waves. I won't get into details on that, Olivia, all right? (laughs) Tesla suffered a nervous breakdown beginning in fall 1905 that lasted until the spring of 1906. He had mortgaged the Dark Tower at Wardenclyffe to George C. Bolt, the owner of the Waldorf Astoria, where he'd lived for a long while in New York. In 1917, creditors tore down the tower for scrap metal, and in 1921, the property was awarded to the Waldorf Astoria as repayment for Tesla's debts. Tesla always tended to stay in hotels, 
like live in them because he believed that it gave the impression that he was successful. So it was a marketing move. But, but he was in debt because of it? Constantly. So uh, <laughs> it was not a good survival move. After his wireless ambitions failed to capture the imaginations of his investors, Tesla became a recluse, moving from hotel to hotel, where he was always inevitably unable to pay the bills. He spent time feeding the pigeons in Bryant Park. And it's just a shame Savannah isn't here. Uh, and the last of the real pigeons. And fellow guests at the hotels where he was staying complained about him keeping pigeons in his room. In 1931, Kenneth Sweezy, a technology writer, threw Tesla a 75th birthday party and presented him with letters of praise from scientific luminaries, including Albert Einstein and Sir Oliver Lodge. It's really at this point that the story starts to get weird, so... Stay with Wait, me. Was Einstein around at this point in time? Yeah, he would have been world famous. At, by 1931, yeah, his oh, yes. uh, the general theory, right, is in the late teens. Time magazine ran a cover story on him, and Tesla decided to hold birthday press conferences every year afterwards. All right, saddle up, because it's time for the death ray. At his 1934 conference to, in honor of his own 78th birthday, Tesla claimed to be developing a particle beam weapon at 78 yeah it's too old for that your particle beam days are over by then (laughs) your particle beam days are never over james he has perfected a method and apparatus dr tesla said yesterday in an interview at the hotel new yorker which will send concentrated beams of particles through the free air of such tremendous energy that they will bring down a fleet of ten thousand enemy airplanes at a distance of 250 miles from a defending nation's border and will cause armies of millions to drop dead in their tracks. Tesla's death ray, which was really a death field, could operate as far as a telescope could see and would be silent and invisible, capable of killing as many as a million at once. The weapon was defensive, not offensive, since it would rely on stationary forts at strategic distances from a country's border. It would, said Tesla, put an end to war. You got me? So, in other words, you couldn't move it around. You couldn't have, like, a cannon because you have to create this whole field so it can only really be defensive. This death beam, he asserted, would surround each country like an invisible Chinese wall, only a million times more impenetrable. It would make every nation impregnable against attack by airplanes or by large invading armies. The one exception to this defensive rule would be a military's ability to mount the stations on a battleship, allowing countries to destroy each other's airplanes as needed, and determining the supremacy of the ship over the aircraft once and for all. Tesla, I guess, got a little miffed at airplanes since he didn't end up inventing one. We need to combat this, these <laughs> air things. We need to put the boats back in the lead. Yeah, but, but again, it's defensive because you can't, like, take the aircraft carrier into a country to conquer it. You can only get it up to the edge. I guess except for Sealand. Sealand. Yeah, it's a, it was this country outside of Great Britain that was on, a, like, a little barge. It was a very bizarre moment in the history okay. of the world. Okay. I won't get into it. I'm sorry I brought it up. Okay, so. There was a place. Yeah, go go look it up. There's a a little rabbit hole you can go down, Sealand. I looked it up in college and it took me days before I could get out of it. So. Why did you tell me that? Sorry. (laughs) Sealand. But that would be the one country you could conquer using these boats, is my point I'm trying to make to the uh, the eight listeners out there who know what (laughs) Sealand is. There's 12 listeners listening together right now. We're like, hey, hey, we all know what Sealand is. Rob? I don't know. (laughs) 
Tesla actually did produce a paper found in his archive in 1984 called The New Art of Projecting Concentrated Non-Dispersive Energy Through Natural Media. One of James's favorites. Uh, right? Yeah. You listen to that in your car on the, on the way to, to college all the time. Yeah, through my, uh, my wirelessly powered phone. Yes, the Tesla app. Uh, and that explained uh, how the idea would work. Tesla envisioned accelerating tiny mercury particles to 48 times the speed of sound using an electrostatic generator. Air passing through a Tesla turbine would be ionized, gather in a sphere, charge millions of mercury particles with the same charge, and then be projected out into the air. The practice of using electrostatic forces to accelerate particles is not actually unheard of today. It used to be in old television tubes and is currently used in particle acceleration machines. But it takes massive amounts of energy to accelerate subatomic particles, let alone the macro particles Tesla imagined projecting out through his ray. To accomplish the death of a million human army, the de- device would need to generate the power of seven and a half nuclear reactors. And now we come to one of my favorite people in this episode, Titus Debobula. How are you not going to be an important person with the name Titus? Right? Debobula. He's a Hungarian architect who is responsible for designing a series of churches around Pittsburgh. He'd first met Tesla in 1890 and helped Tesla create architectural plans for his ray. In 1923, Debobula had been involved in a plot to overthrow the Hungarian government that may or may not have been supported by Adolf Hitler. Debobula had married the heiress Urania Dinky Mock of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. There's a lot to unpack there. Of the Bethlehem Dinky Mocks, uh, who was related by marriage to Charles M. Schwab, president of Carnegie Steel, Steel, U.S. Steel, and Bethlehem Steel. Tesla's arrangement with Debobula ended when Debobula attempted to get Nikola Tesla involved in an arms deal with Paraguay. This is the wildest thing. Debobula had been part owner of a munitions business that dissolved in 1934, and he was sued by a partner for attempting to steal 1,100 tear gas bombs and essentially sell them out of the back of his car on a cross-country trip. (laughs) Married to an heiress and relative of Charles Schwab. These names, Rob, you're killing me. So, some Tesla files believe that Debobula helped Tesla to create a secret laboratory, this is true, underneath the 59th Street Bridge in Manhattan. And there's actually some circumstantial evidence to suggest that Tesla may have kept secret laboratories, generally if not at 59th Street. He had been courted by Russia's communists. Lenin was a fan, not John Lenin, Vladimir. And Tesla had given a speech to the friends of Soviet Russia in 1922. And he may have wanted to work away from the watchful eyes of big capitalist American brother if the Russians were supporting him. He was also concerned with keeping his inventions secret until he could figure a way to make them profitable. So it's conceivable that Debobula did help him create a secret lab. Certainly, Debobula's radical lawless tendencies lent themselves to constructing secret labs. If anyone's going to do it, it's your guy selling tear gas bombs out of the back of his car. <laughs> he will help you build a death ray and a secret lab. But the question remains, while his heiress wife, 
shouts at him from the rest stop, do you want me to get you some Cheez-Its? But the question remains, (laughs) no, honey, we got to get back on the road. I got a man of meeting in Detroit. But the question remains as to whether it ever existed at all. That man was Henry Ford. I don't know. JP. (laughs) Jeez. J.P. Morgan was dead by 1934, and so Tesla pitched his particle beam weapon to his son Jack, who had already given Tesla some money to develop a bladeless turbine. Morgan wouldn't fund the project, so Tesla used it to get out of another hotel bill. This is actually hilarious. You're going to love this. Uh, This time at the Governor Clinton Hotel, he gave the staff a box, which he claimed contained a working model of his death ray worth $10,000. So that's to pay his bill. (laughs) But then he told them that no one should open it who had not been properly authorized or the box would self-destruct, explode in their faces. So the hotel staff just shoved it in a back room in a vault and didn't touch it again. But accepted it as payment. They accepted it, but said, we're not going to touch this. I think they knew they were never going to get anything else from Pigeon Man anyhow. So they were like, fine. I love how they called him Pigeon Man. (laughs) I did. did. Henry Ford called him that. Okay, okay. (laughs) At the... In 1935, Tesla negotiated with the Soviets and agreed to share his plans with them. The Soviets studied his death ray plan and had a back and forth with him, but there's no record of any experimentation that might have followed. Of course, there wouldn't be. Right? It's all in Vladimir Putin's... Sock drawer. (laughs) He also offered Tesla the technology to the British government for $30 million. He corresponded with the British through 1936 and 1937, but they ultimately declined his offer, so it never ended up in Margaret Thatcher's sock drawer. Spies broke into his room and rifled through his papers, but apparently left empty-handed. So that's another note. Uh, In America, we had, I guess, some spies just, you know, hang out, rifle through things. At the outbreak of World War II, he offered a new technology to the U.S. government based on what he called a teleforce. A teleforce? A teleforce, That's super cool. It was capable of melting a plane's engine. He offered to work for the U.S. on conditions that no experts interfere in his work. Only amateurs. Just like cable news. In the end, as with his first death ray... The government decided to pass. I thought I was going to be able to play that straight. Cable news. Isn't it true, though? All right. That's why, you, that's why we have podcasts. Because of cable news? Yeah, that, yeah. If you want to blame anyone for podcasts, blame cable news. I believe that. Tesla had been... People need the truth, right? They're no. tired of all Anyone that nonsense. Anyone who can make a podcast, that's the truth. All right. That's the truth. Tesla had... This is the real truth from the people. Tesla had been hit by a taxi in 1937. That's a weird way to say that, but I'll keep it. He hit by a taxi. It was fun, but yeah, it hurt because he was old. He never received treatment for his injuries, and his health declined steadily over the next five years. How old is he now? Oh, 80s? Yeah, he's. Oh my God. In 1942, he was mostly bedridden, uh, bedridden and taken to bouts of senility, in one instance sending a telegraph to Mark Twain, who had died in 1913. It's not as crazy as it sounds. Like, if I did it, that's, that's pretty... So 
right? Yeah, uh, but so because they'd been alive at the same time. Uh, but he sent the Mar- address, the Mark Twain Telegraph, uh, to his own laboratory on Fifth Avenue. Uh, Blois Fitzgerald. Now this is going to get a little complicated, so try and hang with me. Not complicated like the science stuff was, but complicated like name and history and. So you said Blois. Blois. Okay. Blois Fitzgerald. This guy is an electrical engineer who developed his own anti-tank gun and carried on a correspondence with Tesla since 1935. And he was asked to look after, or, or he rather, he ended up looking after Tesla in his final months. Uh, this may have been at the behest of President Franklin Roosevelt. Oh. Which could, you could read that as that he was babysitting the guy who invented a yeah. death ray. Or just being nice to a super cool American treasure. So Tesla died on the 7th of January, 1943, and it was of a heart attack and 2,000 people attended his funeral. Now here's where we get to James's question from the beginning, the conspiracy. What became of his papers, which contained his designs for the purported death ray, has become the subject of a truly interesting plot, in my opinion. After he died, his nephew, Sava Kosanovich, who had maintained close ties uh, with uh, both Tesla and his ancestral homeland of Yugoslavia, opened the safe in Tesla's room at the Hotel New Yorker to look for his will. In the presence of three assistant managers, the nephew removed Tesla's Edison medal, a keyring, some photographs, and the volume of congratulatory, congratulatory letters he'd received at his 75th birthday. The Russian-born Abraham Spanel, owner of the International Latex Corporation in Dover, Delaware, alerted the FBI that Tesla's papers might fall into the wrong hands. Spanel knew about Tesla's weapon plans because he'd conned Blois Fitzgerald during the war. Remember Blois? Babysitter. Spanel had ruined a deal Fitzgerald was about to make to sell his anti-tank gun to Remington Arms and then collected an 80% finder's fee when he directed Fitzgerald to sell the plans to the Higgins Boat Company. Tesla biographer W. Bernard Carlson speculates that Spinell may have hoped to see Tesla's death ray plans go to the caretaker, Fitzgerald, rather than the nephew, Kosanovich, because Spinell had control over Fitzgerald and so could profit off of Fitzgerald and Tesla the same way he had with the anti-tank gun. Did you follow that? Yeah, Blois is Fitzgerald. <laughs> yes. Yeah, got it. Then you're good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tesla was an American citizen, but Kosanovich was not. And so when the papers passed to him, they fell under the category of alien property and were subject to seizure. The FBI had the papers gathered up and examined by MIT professor John G. Trump. I'm sure no relation, but Trump found nothing of note. So they went to the Governor Clinton Hotel to have a look at the boxed device. Yeah, we're back oh, in the back vault. Oh, back at that, yeah. Yeah, it's still back there uh, that Tesla had left them to settle his unpaid bill. But no one had been brave enough to open it. It's been years. It's just been sitting back there. The agents accompanying Trump to the Governor Clinton stepped back as he cut the twine, opened the brown paper, and lifted the hinged lid on the wooden box. Inside. Oh, no. <laughs> you're right. Inside. He found a simple device for measuring unknown electrical resistance. There was no booby trap. There was no death ray. Got us again, Tesla. Tesla's papers, awesome. right? He was a yeah, jokester. Tesla, there was a pigeon in there. Tesla's, there was not. Tesla's papers were released when the federal government and the state of New York seized them until June of 1946, when Kosanovich returned. Now Yugoslavia's ambassador to the United States paid Tesla's back taxes and recovered them. 
In October 1945, Blois Fitzgerald, who had joined the army, by the way, made a request to access Tesla's papers, purportedly to research and perfect his death ray. The FBI denied the request, and even after the papers were returned, the FBI was supposed to have had microfilm copies of all the documents, but they never released them, suggesting that Tesla may have created a real, functional death ray that the federal government had kept secret. Or that the federal government sometimes loses things like, for example, the microfilm containing the plans for Tesla's mercury particle death ray. I mean, it's possible that maybe they knew that the plans didn't lead anywhere. And so instead of letting this you know, guy look at the plans and, and work on them more, they could hide them and create this kind of, uh, you know, um, international uh, knowledge of having these secret plans that they won't let people look at. Make people think. Yeah. Oh, little smoke and mirrors, smoke and daggers, daggers and robes. Very occulty. This is my coda. Near the end of his life, Tesla's role in advancing wireless technology was finally acknowledged by the U.S. legal system. In American Marconi versus the United States, Marconi's company sued the United States for infringement of copyright for adapting their wireless technology during World War I without paying for it. But in 1935, the U.S. Court of Claims ruled against American Marconi, a ruling upheld by the United States Supreme Court in 1943, months after Tesla died in January of the same year. The courts determined that Marconi Tony's original 1904 patent was invalid because it was based on earlier technology developed by inventors like Tesla. And Marconi was not an inventor. He was a marketer, like you said, right? There we are. Call comes back. All comes full circle. Losers lose. Let's bang us into the order of confessors, shall we? Texas Rosa says, yes! My God, yes! We're exactly what she's been searching for. And she's a practicing occultist. Candles, herbs, moon cycles, and intentions. Yes, girl. Texas or Rosa. Or and, they. and ACDC electricity. Right? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's also involved. And Sumplampin yep. is an occultist. Two occultists in one episode. With 20 years experience who didn't expect to learn anything listening to the podcast, but has. Fantastic. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Olivia, let's bring us on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. Now, Olivia, you uh, directed the voices today, so who who was our reporter? <laughs> it would have been Brooke. I think it was Brooke, <laughs> Good right? thing James was there. Oh, it was sorry. a Brooke mayoral. Uh, and a, a Tesla, we had Dan Rosendale doing the voice of Nikola Tesla. Uh, and our, our British Matthews was John. Johnny Cook. Uh, said, joining me around the table, we had Olivia Literal, our Grand Master of the Order. Hello, everyone. Aubrey Radford, uh, our werewolf friend. Sweet dreams. Ooh. <laughs> She's coming for you. Like uh, and uh, captain of the table, James Kapalangas. Yes, thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening, and stay frosty. Me, my name is Rob C. Thompson. Occult Confessions is recorded at Chesapeake College's scenic and beautiful Cadby Theater. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to speaking with you next time about aliens and the end of the world. Goodbye, everyone.